We begin our Christmas series today entitled, After the Darkness Light. That was a slogan at the time of the Reformation, uh, but we're using it in a broader sense today, after the darkness uh, in this world caused by sin, caused by pain and suffering, uh, we look forward to the light that comes through Jesus Christ. And we've spent, uh, for those visiting uh, with us today, we've spent many, many weeks in the book of Judges. And there was a lot of darkness in the book of Judges. So part of it is to say, after darkness, the darkness that we've experienced in the book of Judges, there is light. So we will be looking at, <clears throat> excuse me, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7 today. Starting with Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with righteous, with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Father, we come to you this morning and we ask that by your Holy Spirit that you would work in our hearts, that you would bring light, and that you would remove the darkness. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was a young boy, I was uh, in my bed in the middle of the night. One night I woke up and I was afraid. And I said to myself, well, I'm, gonna, I'm going to feel my way to my parents' bedroom. Uh, my plan was to feel along the wall to the left, to go out the door, and then go along the wall and get to their room, which was next to my room. And as I, I went further and further to the left, I went farther than I thought should be where I would find my door. And I kept going and kept going and finding only wall. I started to panic, and I thought, well... I'll just go back to my bed. That's a better, better solution. And, and so I started to move to the right, and I couldn't. My feet were stuck, and I was terrified, and I cried out. And all of a sudden, there was a light, a flashlight. What had happened is I had found my way into my parents' room, and I got my feet stuck in the trash can, and so I was unable to move. And there was my dad with the flashlight by the, by the bed, uh, shining the light. Everything was okay. Uh, I was there in their room after all, and the light was shining. Well, that's just a simple little example of uh, what it's like when you're in the darkness, and it's no fun to be in the darkness, and it can be terrifying. 
And the light comes and the light shines. And the light has come. That's what we're here to celebrate today. My question for you to consider today is what is your darkness? You know, we can have darkness in our lives that is darkness of our own making. It could be because of our stupidity, even our sin. Uh, It could be because of somebody else's stupidity, somebody else's sin that impacts us. It can be from living in a fallen world. Uh, Adam and Eve, from that time forward, the earth has been cursed. And so we have thorns and thistles and we have illness and we have all sorts of things. We have tornadoes and hurricanes. And so we live in this dark world. What is your personal darkness that you're going through today? The book of Isaiah up to chapter 9 lays out the darkness that the nation of Israel was going through. And there's some similarities in what we found in the book of Judges. And so I'll just lay out a few ways in which they were living in a dark world. First was that the country uh, had been attacked and was going to be attacked. Um, First of all, Israel, the northern tribes, were divided from the southern tribe of Judah. They had a civil war. That in and of itself is darkness. The northern tribe uh, went in league with Syria, another country, against Judah. That's bad in terms of militarily. Then Assyria, another nation, came in and uh, went into Uh, The northern tribes of Israel completely decimated them, actually went into Judah, was not able to take Jerusalem, but decimated the country, Uh, particularly the the, uh, northern tribes of Israel, um, deported them, uh, killed a lot of people, and there was just a remnant left. Because of this, there was poverty in the entire nation. They were dealing with Uh, Instead of prosperity, which they'd experienced before, they were now dealing with poverty. And then there was crime. Uh, The poor were powerless and they were being taken advantage of. We read in Isaiah 5.20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Woe to those who acquit the guilty for a bribe and deprive the innocent of his right. And then it goes on to say, what do you mean by crushing my people, by grinding the face of the poor? In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 15, we find that there's even violence being done against the people in the nation. You know, when we go to the Lord in prayer, we we fold our hands, we bow our heads. What they would do in that day is they would raise their hands in prayer. And so it says, when you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you, even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. You know, imagine that, raising your hand to the Lord in prayer. What's that I see on your hands? Oh, nothing. Blood. Bloodshed in the hands of people in Israel. There was a lack of heart for the Lord. It was a heart issue. These were people who were, we would say, going to church. These were church people. They were sacrificing They were sacrificing to the Lord. He said, I've got enough of your sacrifices. I need righteousness. I need justice. And that heart was demonstrated by a lack of desire for God's word. They would go to any kind of medium and fortune teller to get some kind of word for their lives, but they wouldn't go to the Lord. Isaiah 8.18, Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel, the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. 
And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching and to the testimony, if they will not speak according to the word, it is because they have no dawn. There's no light internally. They have no light. They're relying on that which is not God's word. And so there will be a day of judgment. Again, part of what is described as darkness. Isaiah 2.12 says, For the Lord of hosts has a day. And this is picked up in the New Testament, not just in terms of what happened when the Assyrians came and later the Babylonians came and later the Romans came, but what will happen in the day of the Lord, the day of judgment. 1 Thessalonians 5.2, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. There will be that day of judgment when the Lord returns. And so there's this summary statement at the end of chapter 8, leading into chapter 9 that we read, And it says this in verse 21, they will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Such was the state of Israel. So I ask you again, consider for yourselves. What is your own personal darkness today? And again, it could be something that is a result of of your action, your foolishness, your sin, or it could be because somebody has sinned against you and harmed you and hurt you, or it could be just, again, living in this fallen and broken world. What is your personal difficulty? What is your personal heartache? What is your gloom? And I would say this today, if if you're with us here or even online or listening, and you're an atheist, welcome, glad to have you here. If you're kind of your mindset, your philosophy of life, and what you believe is true is atheistic evolution, um, I want you to think through this a little bit with me to say, not all is right with the world. Not all is good. There is gloom in the world. Uh, And I would say to, to those that have that perspective of atheistic evolution, you know, that's survival of the fittest. The lion is going to eat the lamb. You know, every the strong survives. First you have the alpha variant. Then you have the delta variant. Now maybe the Omicron variant, right? Even with viruses, the strong survive, the weak go by the wayside. Is that how it happens with people? Is that just natural? There's nothing good or bad about it? No. This is not the way it's supposed to be. And we all know it. We know that this is not what it's supposed to be. We know this is darkness. This is gloom. And so the good news comes to us in chapter 9, verse 1. But there will be no gloom for for her who was in anguish. There's good news. There's good news. It goes on to say this. There'll be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them, light has shone. This was a place of deep darkness. This mention of Naphtali 
And uh, this, this mention of Naphtali and Zebulun, why is that in there? It's because this was where the Assyrian army came first when it came into the land of Israel. First it came into Naphtali and Zebulun, and they took the worst first brunt of the action of this conquering enemy. In that place where it was darkest, where it was the most hopeless, light has shed. It started there. We read in 2 Kings 15, 29, in the days of Pekah, king of Israel, Galilee, all the land of Naphtali, he came and he carried the people captive to Assyria. We read this in Matthew 4, 13. This is a little bit of a spoiler alert. We haven't really got to how it is that we're going to have light. Uh, his name is Jesus. He came. Matthew 14, Matthew 4, 13 says this. And after leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. So that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region, a shadow of death on them, a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Right in the place where it seemed the darkest, the most impenetrable hope, if it's going to come, it's not going to come there. It can't come there. No, that's exactly where Jesus started his ministry, his ministry of hope and light. Something that was prophesied hundreds of years before, he, he begins to do that. And it tells us that no matter what your darkness is in your life, you're not too far gone. I was, uh, after I got out of college, I traveled for a year and uh, just all around the country. And one of the places I went to first was um, uh, in Colorado. And I worked for a hunting camp. I just kind of signed on and we packed in with horses and tents way up in the mountains. And I found myself, there were some interesting characters that were also working at the camp. One guy was a fairly unsavory guy. Um, and he had, been, um, he had been a Vietnam vet. He had done a lot of drugs. He had done a lot of stuff. He'd lost most of his teeth uh, from doing drugs. And he was, it was obvious to me he was hiding from somebody. That's why he got this job up in the mountains. And, um, and we began to talk. And I began to talk to him about Jesus Christ and how Christ has come. And Christ could be his Savior and that he died for his sins. And he could experience the love of God. And he could know that reconciliation and that work of God's spirit in his life and his response was i'm too far gone i'm too far gone and i said you're halfway there there are a lot of people who just don't think they've got any problems at all that they need saving from at least you understand that no matter how hopeless you think it is the light has dawned jesus comes there first pronouncing hope we see here in verse 9 that another way that we see light is in the increase of family and in the national population. Remember that the population has been and is going to be decimated. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. There was this bare remnant that was left, and God was going to make their number as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand in the seashore. And so we read in the book of Revelation, chapter 7, verse 9, what's, what it will be in the future. 
After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne, before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. There is light because there's freedom from the oppressive enemy. We see this starting with verse four. Why is there rejoicing? For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Remember, you, we, we talked about the day of Midian. Gideon and the miraculous uh, victory that um, God gave to uh, the Israelites against the Midianites. This is what's being referred to here. And that miraculous victory in the day of Midian, you have broken as on the day of Midian for every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. There's no more need for anything related to war. It's been done away with. The light has come. So who is the light? Because the light is a person. I'd ask you children learning how to spell. How do you spell light? Is it L-I-G-H-T? No, it's J-E-S-U-S. J-E-S-U-S is the light. And again, we see that Jesus came fulfilling the prophecy. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And from that time forward, he began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the fact we need a king. We need a king. We need King Jesus in this messed up world. And we see that emphasized here for to us, verse six. A child is born to us, a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And what will his rule be characterized by justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore for the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. He is a human king born in the line of David, and he is also God. Chapter seven, verse 14, very famous prophecy of Jesus Christ. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and he shall be called Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. Jesus, the son of David, descendant of David, heir to the throne, and he is God. Truly man and truly God. The light has come, and we see that in the description of who this coming king would be. And so the first description is he is a wonderful counselor or a wonder of a counselor. Isaiah 9, 6. Now, what does it mean that he is wonderful? Psalm 78, 11 and 12 talks about the word wonder or wonders. They forgot his works and the wonders that he had shown them in the sight of their fathers. He performed wonders in the land of Egypt. Remember? All the miracles God did, all the wonders God did in the land of Egypt. He split the Red Sea and the people walked through on dry land. That's what it is to be a wonder. Jesus is a wonder. His presence, what's more wonderful, the splitting of the Red Sea or God coming down and taking part in our humanity. Truly God, truly man, united in the person of Jesus Christ. He is a wonder. And he is a wonder 
as a counselor. Isaiah chapter 28, verse 29, pointedly says that the Lord, that the one true God, Yahweh, is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. We have kings and presidents all over the world. They try to deal with stuff. They try to deal with how do we deal with inflation? How do we deal with Iran? How do we deal with China? How do we deal with COVID? And they all give it their best shot. And we all agree they're always right. Right? No, because they're fallible human beings. But there is one who is a wonder as a counselor, and his name is Jesus. And so the light has come because the wonderful counselor has come. He is mighty God. He's not just a human. He's not just a human that stands with us. You know, the the terminology in verse 14, chapter 7, verse 14, Emmanuel means God with us. And certainly that means that God is in solidarity, that the son that was born would be a sign that God is with us. Sort of like last, uh, just this past week, there's a, a fellow pastor that I know that had his, um, his first floor of his house flooded completely and uh, not from the area here. And so I told him, I said, I'm, I'm with you, man. I feel your pain, right? We all feel his pain when somebody's house gets flooded. And um, is that is that kind of how God is with us in Jesus Christ? I'm with you. Um, no, it's a little different than that. And, and there's a um, there's a television show. I'm not going to name the show because I don't really want to recommend the show for you to go out and see it. But some of you will know the line. Uh, there's a fairly famous line in it. And that is there's always money in the banana stand. There's always money in the banana stand. What's that about? It was about uh, a, a man. He had this uh, modest way of making a living through a banana stand. Uh, the, the patriarch of the family goes to jail. The son visits him in jail. Father says, just remember, there's always money in the banana stand. There's always money in the banana stand. And, uh, you know, the son really doesn't think much of the banana stand. In fact, a family member burns the banana stand down. And so he goes to the father and he says, you know, the banana stand, sorry, it's burned down. And he said, I told you there's money Always money in the banana stand. There was $250,000 hidden in the walls of the banana stand. There's a difference, right? There's a difference between simply saying, I'm with you. And God saying, no, how many times do I have to tell you? I am with you in Jesus Christ. He is God with us. He is a mighty God who has come. Now, if somebody knocks on your door... And they want to tell you a few things. When somebody does it, always ask them this question. They want to talk about religion. Ask them, is Jesus God? And oftentimes, depending on this particular persuasion of the people that call, they will say, well, Jesus is a God. And they're being deceptive because they know you think Jesus is God. And so what they mean by that is, well, in the Bible, the term God can have a range of meaning. It, in the Old Testament, can mean, uh, it can mean the, the one true God. It can mean false gods. It can even mean kings, lowercase g. The, the word in the Hebrew is Elohim. And that word Elohim can have uh, a variety of meanings. The word here is actually the word El, uh, El Gibor. Mighty God. You've heard some of you, students of the Bible, El Shaddai, El Elyon, El Gibor. If we turn to the 
the next chapter, chapter 10, we find this description of the one true God. In that day, the remnant of Israel, this is verse 20, and the survivors of the house of Jacob will no more lean on him who struck them, but will lean on the Lord, on Yahweh, on the one true God, the Holy One of Israel in truth. The remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob, to the mighty God, to El Gibor, the same terminology of the one true, true God is used of Jesus Christ. And so the light has come. The light has come because the mighty God has come. He is the everlasting Father. Now this is interesting because we learn a son is given, and so the son is now the father. And again, if you're a student of theology, isn't this kind of confused? Don't we have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit? In this instance, father is descriptive of the care of the king that is coming. In fact, uh, Job himself, uh, just a, a, a normal person, says, I was father to the needy. And in Isaiah twenty-two twenty-one, we read this prophecy of the coming king. We'll commit your authority to his hand and he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. And I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. He is the good shepherd. He is the one who cares for you. And he is an everlasting father. You've heard the phrase, all good things must come to an end. No, they don't. He is the everlasting father. And so they do not need to come to an end. He will always provide that for us. He is the prince of peace. There will be no end of the peace when the light comes. Verse 7, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end from this time forth and forevermore. And so because he is the king and his kingdom has no end and he is the prince of peace, there will be no more deprivation, no more hunger, no more neediness, no more war, no more hostility. No more conflict, no more taking advantage of the weak, no more evil, even in our own hearts. It is an eternal kingship of light. So be encouraged by this. There's darkness, but darkness has a duration. Darkness is going to end. But the reign of King Jesus, who is light, who is peace, will go on forever. And if you know the light... If you have come into the light through faith in Jesus Christ, you will experience that forever. The light has come and the light will come. Okay, sometimes we call this the already, but the not yet. You might have noticed we still have darkness in this world. That's why I asked you, what's your personal darkness? And yet the light has come. The prophecy in chapter 9, verse 1 has been fulfilled. Jesus came to Zebulun, came to Galilee, and he came as the light, the light of the world. At the same time, all of these prophetic uh, things about Jesus Christ have not come to fruition in completeness. We've tasted them. We've received forgiveness. We've seen, received a change of heart and many other good things in this world. And yet we look forward to when he will return and it will happen in completeness. But we've experienced it now. In a sense, we're standing like me in the trash can, stuck in the dark, 
but the light is shining and everything's okay. You know, this is utterly practical for us as we live in this world and still experience darkness. If Isaiah could say it to the people living in that time, Jesus had not even come for unto us a child is born, present tense. They were supposed to take encouragement from that, that this prophecy was as good as done. It was going to happen. The light was going to come. If it could happen to them and be an encouragement to them, it can be an encouragement to us after the arrival of Jesus Christ. Second Peter 1.19 says, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns. And the morning star rises in your hearts. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And Jesus said, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me will not remain in darkness. And so if you have yet to do so, place your faith in light, in Jesus Christ, who as a person is the light of the world. He has come to give you light in forgiveness of your sins. He's come into, your, into this world to make uh, you have a relationship with him that is everlasting and to one day experience what it means to have all of the darkness in your life and in this world done away with. And you would experience that with him forever. And knowing that is something that is eminently practical and helpful and encouraging. Now, the Apostle Paul experienced a good bit of darkness. Here's a description of what the Apostle Paul went through. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning with verse 23. He says that he had countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hand of the Jews the forty lashes, lest one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, and toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. I don't know what you've gone through, and some of you have gone through some pretty bad stuff, but I I don't know that you can outdo the Apostle Paul in terms of what he's gone through. How does he take, how does, what's his perspective on that? Earlier in the book of 2 Corinthians, he says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. By comparison, as we know what we have to experience, the fullness of light The things that we face today, we have the perspective that they are transient and even light. Romans 8.18, the Apostle Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. It's something that is so real we can taste it. Growing up in South Florida, we had in our backyard two huge lychee trees. I don't know if you know what a lychee tree is and... You know, on a hot summer day, what we would do is we would take these lychees 
kind of a red pimply fruit. We'd take them off. We'd put them in the freezer. We'd freeze them, and, you know, it was 98 degrees out, 98% humidity. And we'd tear open the, the skin, and we'd pop that, that sweet uh, lychee nut in our mouth. And, um, I mean, and, you, know, it, you know what I'm talking about, right? You probably don't know what I'm talking about, do you? You probably don't know, but I do. And I can taste it right now. Decades later, I have a foretaste of it. And in the same way, we have a taste of the light that is to come. Uh, we haven't experienced it in fullness, but we know we've got that taste in our mouth. And it is going to happen, and we're going to experience it in fullness. The light has come. And we go through dark things now. But knowing that the light has come and will come in completeness is profoundly helpful. Sue Jakes uh, was uh, leadership and is heavily involved now in children's ministry on a denominational level uh, for the PCA. And uh, some of you will remember her name because we prayed for her. We prayed for her family uh, because her one son had COVID and the other son Uh, right on the heels of that, uh, was diagnosed with a a serious brain tumor that was going to require surgery. Uh, Her son with COVID passed away, and her son with with a brain tumor had his surgery. And so she was giving an update online uh, this week for those interested in uh, her life and in children's ministry, and she says this. She said, Jonathan made it through surgery, removing most of the tumor, The recovery has been slow, but exactly as the surgeons had described it would be. His grief over the death of his brother added to the trauma of it all, but prayers are being offered from every corner of the earth. We are now praying every day that Jonathan, Leah, and the kids will be able to come home for Christmas. And many ask, how are you? I'm overwhelmed with exhaustion that grief brings. Working through all the stages... I'm reminded that I am not a newcomer to this journey. It is still hard, and I'm weary of being sad most all the time. My happy place? I have returned to Sunday morning children's ministry at our church, teaching children, children's church and preparing my preschool choir for our annual Christmas worship. My happiest place is most often with my grandchildren, but sometimes it is hard as we all share our grief, our tears, our hard places, And our determination not to fear, as fear is only the faith in the enemy, is only faith in the enemy. Christmas will now mean more than ever. My daughter Joanna reminded me that after living through the loss of her firstborn son during Christmas 2012, the love of our God who sent his only son was more unfathomable than ever. He loved us enough to give us his son. And I will think of my sons, my daughters, all of you this year and fall before the manger giving thanks that because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Thanks for reading. I truly love and give thanks for you all. I pray that your Christmas inspires you to keep telling the children until he comes back to take us home where we all belong. Sue. You see, the light has come. Not everything is right, but the light is so close we can taste it. We know that the eternal king will bring us eternal light. And so we sing. We sing during Christmas, don't we? We sing of his coming in the future, and we sing of the fact he's already come. We sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. 
and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. And we also sing that the light has already come. God rest ye, merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. O tidings of comfort and joy, let nothing you dismay. Rejoice, rejoice, for the light has come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that the light has come in the person of your Son, Jesus Christ. He is our mighty God, our everlasting Father, our Prince of Peace, our wonderful Counselor, our Savior in every way possible. And we trust and believe in him, and we thank you for giving us the light. And we look forward to the day when we will experience that in all completeness. Until then, encourage us with these truths by your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And with that, and as we prepare for the Lord's Supper, let's sing the first two verses of Let All Mortal Flesh Keep Silence. Let's stand and sing.